Hi, I'm Kira Buckland. I am the English voice of Jolene and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, To Be a Near Automata, Mitsuri and Demon Slayer, Kuki Shinobu and Genshin Impact, and so much more. And you're listening to the VoiceOver Champions Podcast. Hello and welcome to VoiceOver Champions, a show about voice acting for voice actors and fans of voice actors. I'm your host, Joshua Seth. And my guest today is Kira Buckland. And in addition to being a very successful voice actor in her own right, she's also a casting director. She's also the founder of Voice Acting Club, an online community for voice actors. She has a very raw, honest, no BS point of view that I appreciate. So if you're an aspiring voice actor yourself, you definitely want to check this episode out. But before we get to that conversation, quick announcement. This weekend, I will be appearing in Kissimmee, Florida at the Collectors United show with a lot of other great voice actors. It's going to be a fun time. So if you are in the Orlando area, I'll be there this Saturday and Sunday, March 4th and 5th. And you should definitely stop on by Collectors United. Say hi, get those collectibles signed. I'll be there all weekend. Oh, and also, I want to thank you for your support of the show. We have now cracked the top 100 in the careers category in several countries, including New Zealand and, just this past week, Japan. So if you're enjoying the show, there's two things you can do to help us sustain that momentum. Simply share it with a friend, let other people know about it, and especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, It would be great to get some more five-star ratings and reviews of the show. I think we only have something like seven reviews right now. But whatever the next review is that comes in this week on Apple Podcasts, I will read it on next week's episode. And now it's time for a really in-depth discussion about the realities of becoming a voice actor and what the voiceover industry is like today with my guest, Kira Buckland. All right. I am very excited to talk to you because you have a definite point of view and it's a no BS point of view that I appreciate. (laughs) And how do I know this? Because you you only came on my radar. I have to say like a month ago, you wrote this really long Twitter thread about the realities of the voiceover business and how it took you seven years to make it in the business, which coincidentally is about what it took me as well. And I just thought that was really refreshing and wanted to have you on. And then since then, I've found that you you actually write quite a bit. Like, do you enjoy writing? Yeah, yeah I, I do not. I've written a lot, but it's <laughs> uh, I am pulling my own teeth to do it. You you do it by choice, huh? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it just kind of stemmed from, I mean, I've always enjoyed writing stuff, um, but I think a lot of it kind of stemmed from, I would get emails and messages all the time from people back in the day, because I started on the internet back in 2004. I started doing stuff as a hobby, so my path was like a little bit different than, you know, a lot of people started in like theater, film, that sort of thing, and I knew specifically I wanted to do voice, so it was a little bit different journey, but um, That is different. Yeah. You know, for, for me too, I remember when I interviewed with my first agent out in LA, which was Arlene Thornton, and this was 30 years ago, she asked me, so you actually want to be a voice actor? Like, this isn't a backup? No, that's actually what I went out to Hollywood to do. So, yep. <laughs> rare, rare company. Uh, although maybe less so now, because a lot more people are aware of it as a 
a career option because of the internet. But are you are you a very auditory person? Do you prefer yeah. listening to things than watching them, for instance? Um, I kind of prefer like doing things. I feel like I learn best if I'm if I just dive in and go for something. So, you know, a lot of how I started learning and practicing would just be like watching a show or playing a game and just like trying to imitate the voices and stuff. And obviously it's kind of, you know, then I had my first acting teacher who is like, hey, it's about the acting, not the voice and stuff. And that was, you know, I think everyone has that moment where that's like a big breakthrough realization for them and stuff. But, you know, I think it definitely helped just kind of learning and observing from the people who are already working, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally does because you learn the best by doing. And especially if you're doing in a collaborative environment, there's only so much you can do on your own without feedback or bouncing ideas and takes off of other people. So when <laughs> it's now I'm thinking back, like, what did I do when I was a kid? See, I had hippie parents and I couldn't watch TV. So that has a little something to do with it because a lot of the storytelling that I was exposed to. Also, I, I'm so old. It's, it's before they were video games. You know, there was like <laughs> Pong and, and Space Invaders, but not the sort of stuff like Genshin Impact and stuff that <laughs> people are consumed with now, which I've not even seen because I don't play video games because <laughs> I'm a creator and I have this theory that the more you're consuming, the less you're creating because we have limited time and energy. So yeah. I don't consume very much in the form of games or movies or TV. And that started when I was a kid by listening to the golden age of radio cassettes. There used to be this cassette series of like the Lone Ranger, the Ovaltine Hour, and Fibber McGee and Molly and all this stuff that's like way too old for me to know. But as a result, my initial impressions, because everybody kind of starts there, right? Yeah. They were all these impressions from like the 40s and 50s and Catskill comedians <laughs> and people that nobody knows. But then if you if you look at some of the very established, even older than me, voice actors that have been around a long time, the Charlie Adlers, the, the, the Rob Paulsons, these kinds of people, they have those references all over the place. Like if you know what you're listening to, you hear their version of movies from the 50s and actors from black and white Hollywood and stuff like that. So, right, we're all inspired yeah. by what came before us. <laughs> yeah, we're all standing on the shoulders of, of whomever came before us. And I think it's that's why it's really great that you've you've written so much about your experience and guidance for other people. And why? Let's get back to my original premise here. Because there's a lot of BS online. There's, a, <laughs> there's, there's way too many people trying to make a dime off of people that don't have the two nickels, you know? And... Now, I, I have to ha say a caveat here because in the show notes, there's always a link to my voiceover workshop on Zoom, which I'm running this Saturday, but I, I'm not making a living off of this. Like, it's not my business model. It's something I do once every couple of months or so for small group because I can and I got something to say and people want to hear it. But there's definitely a lot of people out there who that is their business model is to pump you up and make you think that you have a great sounding voice and all you need is spend a bunch of money on a demo or something and and you'll have a career like let's start there what's your take on all that rant go for it <laughs> well um in regards to what you said about the workshops um i have no issues with people 
charging for workshops, offering workshops. You know, I've done some of my own in the past. I think it's extremely valuable. Um, one thing that we're always encouraging over at the voice acting community I help admin is take classes, take workshops, but take them from reputable pros. Take them from people <laughs> yes. who have been in the business for a while, who have, you know, actually worked and th things like that. Because there's people who they're, yeah, like you said, their whole business is just, I can teach you how to make a lot of money, but you know, what, what have they done necessarily? Or I, I think my issue comes with like taking money from people and giving them false hope because as I that said, that was my whole point. Before, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I start all like my, super competitive. I start all my workshops out by saying, I'm not here to pump you up and tell you what a good <laughs> job you're doing. Like, why are you paying me? Yeah. I, yeah I'm here to give you hopefully some valuable feedback and constructive criticism that will make you better. You know, otherwise, why are you taking the class? I think sometimes people may share things like um, that they know is going to generate a lot of discussion because it gets like more people talking. Oh, about absolutely. Their, you know, yeah, hot takes. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And I think the algorithm on Twitter favors that kind of stuff. So every social thing, media does. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that's that's why I people say these preposterous things. I'm convinced things that they know are not true because then they're going to get comments. Or it's true in like their very limited, narrow experience because, you know, you have some people okay. saying like, oh, yeah, like USB is is totally fine. And, you know, but they're only doing like indie projects. And yeah, it's like fine for indie projects. But if you work with a professional studio, they're going to be like, no. But then you have, you know, people who have only worked in professional studios who kind of take that and say it's never acceptable or whatever. It's like, no, 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 it's fine if somebody's doing it for a hobby or whatever. And that's the other thing, too, is most things aren't really black and white. But also I, I tell people, like, look critically, like who is the person giving this advice? Like the person telling you, you have to like get this audio interface, you have to get the software. Are they like an audio engineer or are they a random person? Online? Although I would <laughs> say I'd be, I'd be careful about taking tech advice from an audio engineer because they hear things that we don't and they're going to basically say get all the most expensive stuff because I've had them tell me that and it's also not necessarily uh, appropriate depending on your skill level and where you're at. And we'll get to tech stuff later. That's like a whole nother discussion. But actually I'd like to to delve a little deeper into what you said about different types of work because there's so many different markets. You have a lot of demos on every page of your website, which I think is really smart. So instead of us having to go to a specific page to see the demo, it's on the sidebar of every page. So kudos to you on that. I've never seen that before, but I think it's really good practice actually. Oh, that's actually, I can't take credit for it. That was uh, my friend Adam who designed my website. That was all his idea. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really stylized. And, and how'd you get that, that graphic done of you too? Like this is, you have a whole brand going on here. Yeah, so um, the graphic, I wanted something in the style of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure because even before I worked on the show, it was my favorite series. It was like my favorite anime, favorite media franchise. And so I found an artist who did commissions in the style of kind of like the original art from JoJo. So I said mm -hmm. like, hey, like, could you like draw me as a JoJo's character basically? Yeah, it came and out really great. Yeah, and like with um, you know, the pink and the stars and stuff. My thing is just like, you know, my style icon is David Bowie. Um, I'm really like extra like I literally have a pink booth. Um, so like my whole branding is like pink and stars and glitter and just being very extra and I just like lean into that, you know. I had another just another random actor like early on tell me like, "Oh, well, you should have like a very corporate looking website." I'm like, "I do like Why? anime 
video games like i'm just gonna like do my thing you know and i still be who you are yeah yeah occasionally like that's what i like about it look it it's gonna is it gonna turn off some corporate clients absolutely screw them you know they're not your people but is it going to is it going to appeal to the clientele that would want to hire you for the type of work that you want to do yeah i think so and you know even though voiceover is an auditory medium the visual impact of stuff like your branding on your social media pages and on your website absolutely matters because it tells us who you are what's important to you what your vibe is and your vibe attracts your tribe right so that's that's a smart move too the other thing i really liked were the transitions in your in your visual reel there did you oh, have yeah, that, that professionally done? Uh, I have a friend who's a video editor for his day job, so I hired him. Like that's my other secret is when there's something I know I'm not good at, I hire a friend to do that, give them business, and you know. <laughs> that's so also very smart advice. That don't try to do everything yourself. There's people that are very skilled at what they do, just as we are at what we do, and spread that work around. Yeah, I I need to get that person's number for my visual reel the next time I update yeah. it because the transitions and everything, I mean, it's just so clean. It looks so professional. And even if you're just skimming, which I was and most clients are going to do, they're not going to sit there and listen to every second of every demo or watch every minute of every visual reel. They're going to skim back and forth and they're going to stop and listen for a few seconds, skim, stop, listen. But the overall impression is put together and professional. And you just told us your secret, which is not doing it yourself and actually hiring professionals to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it It can definitely be worth learning to do certain things yourself. Like, for example, when I have um, a role announcement or whatever, like, I don't consider myself too great with graphic design, but I kind of learned how to just put together the role announcement graphics because it's like, well, you know, a lot of times if I'm announcing a role, it's like, I want to get it out right then and there as soon as the project comes out or as soon as we, you know, are told, oh, we can Mm -hmm. talk about this or whatever. So I don't necessarily have time to go and like pay someone just to make a social media graphic for me. So things like that, that you're going to You could have a template that you would just plug new elements into. That's what I do for all the podcast graphics is I have a template set up in Canva and I just swap out the person's picture and name. Yeah. Yep, Canva. That's that. That was my secret because another creative friend was like, "Oh yeah, you know, a lot of these fancy graphics that other actors are doing, they just use Canva." And then that was like life changing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now here's the here are the demos you've got: video game, animation, commercial, narration, toy, and phone. Do you do many phone gigs as a voice actor? Not too many. Um, I have done like some. Like a, like a good handful over the years just because I was on like a talent roster that specifically provides um, mm. like voicemail services to small businesses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, like with a lot of things, um, I have noticed, you know, just when I'm calling places more and more is just text to speech AI voice. Yeah, so, that would seem an easy one for AI to replicate. A friend of mine whom I interviewed on a previous episode of this podcast does a lot of work in the audiobook space. And she said that she's becoming concerned about having her gigs replaced by automated intelligence. And I thought, well, I would imagine that, I didn't know, okay? So I was like, I would think that that'd be fairly safe because who would want to listen to a computer for hours? It's one thing to, I specifically said, it's one thing to listen to a phone recording because you kind of are expecting that lack of nuance and lack of emotion in a phone recording, but a audiobook where you have to emote and portray characters she said listen to this and she sent me 
a like a beta page for Audible or for per, perhaps it's Amazon's self-publishing arm. It's all Amazon, Amazon, Audible, KDP, or CreateSpace, all of that. But it's for self-published authors that want to have AI voice their books, and in exchange, at least at the moment, Amazon will give them that service for free. I guess it's, it's teaching the robots to speak, right? It was really good. Now, I only listened to like a minute of each, but they were each very distinct, and I mean, it wasn't bad for a first-generation pass of this sort it's of It's scary how much, and they, they can um, do that to existing actors. Like, I saw something going around Twitter just the other day with um, the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, there's, you know, a few voices, but um, one of the, the more recent ones, and people just fed in lines from the game and made him say, like, hey, I'm Sonic, and this is my AI voice, completely recreated, and it sounded real you know it's like yeah i mean it's, it feels obviously it feels like a violation of your integrity and your it's not i mean it's a part of your body your voice is a part of your body right. and so to take that absolutely feels like a violation when you didn't specifically say it was okay and who the hell would say it's okay right especially somebody well, that's making their living at it right so my my kind of perspective on this because unfortunately this technology isn't going away there's a lot of demand for it it's getting but you know there are applications where it could be used you know more ethically like um for accessibility and things like that so um my take on it is i think that actors should be able to license their voice prints um so it's kind of like you know we could do the recordings for like the AI algorithm, but when somebody wanted to use our voice, they would have to pay like a use fee, kind of like with commercials and and kind of like license it. And maybe there could be different things like, you know, some voice actors might say, I have to approve whatever project my voice is used in because you wouldn't want your voice used for something that's like strongly goes against your moral beliefs or things like that. Right. So I think- Yeah, let's if, say if they put your voice into a political ad that espouses viewpoints that you're morally opposed to. Like what's to stop them from right. doing that right now? So my big thing with the AI, I always say it's um, there needs to be consent and compensation. And right now yeah. there's like neither well, of those that, things. That makes way too much sense. So it's probably something people are going to have to go on strike for eventually. I mean, this is the sort of thing yeah. unions strike over, and that's why unions exist. Okay. Let's get to your career here. We skipped over all of that. What's, what's the character? No, you know what? We're going to do the lightning round. We're going to skip ahead. Do the lightning round right now. What's the favorite role that you've ever voiced? Jillian from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Is there a role you've always wanted to voice? Jillian from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> Is there a role you've always wanted to voice that you haven't voiced yet? Dizzy from Guilty Gear. Hmm. Is there a voice actor you'd love to work with? Does it count if they do both voice and on camera, but primarily on camera? Out of time. What's your favorite voice? Okay, fine. Sure, it counts. Yes. What's what's a voice actor you'd love to work with in any regard? Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, that's a great answer. What's your favorite voiceover rule? Oh, you already did that one. What's a project you'd love to work on? Super Smash Brothers. And that has been the lightning round. <laughs> Alrighty then. Now, you're the founder of the Voice Acting Club, an online community for actors and content creators. I know that because you wrote it in the questionnaire. <laughs> 
why? Why did you decide to start doing that? Because that's a lot of work. And I have to say, for listeners that haven't been there, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's a great resource, and, and I like your writing because it's very detailed, but therefore very time-consuming. So uh, what motivated you to do that? So a lot of it is... Um you know, like I said, I started online and, you know, a lot of people were kind of interested in pursuing that path by like, you know, oh, what if I uh, voice act for like online content creators and indie devs and stuff like that, and then try to transition into a career eventually. And a lot of people would ask me, how do I do this? How do I get into it? And, you know, you just, you don't have the time. I'm sure you know, especially with how long your career has been going, that as much as you want to, you just do not have the time to like write a whole thing to each person. So I was like, what if I just kind of made things accessible and just like wrote kind of like guides for like what I did. And, you know, it's like things like how to make your own demo if you're just submitting it to online projects and you're not, you know, ready for like a professional demo yet, or, you know, how to, um, how to contact indie creators about wanting to voice act for them or, you know, um, basics of acting if you can't afford to take an acting class yet. I um, like that article, actually. It was a really good <laughs> summary and, uh, and a good way of thinking about how to approach any piece of copy because it's simple. Yeah, and I try to write like practical things too cuz I'm like, you know, look, if you're if you're in the booth like most of the time it's cold reading, you don't get to like sit there and dissect things, but when you're learning, you can kind of use these exercises to, you know, to break down copy and then the goal is to like internalize that into being able to do that quickly when you see audition copy or especially when you're thrown a role in in the booth or whatever, but you're already think, booked on it and they say, "Can you also do this?" Right, right. Yeah, yeah but um, right in the session. That's why I've always felt, I'm sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, that's why I've always felt that improv is such good training for voice actors because it teaches you to think on your feet, be witty, and make quick decisions and commit to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, too, that with the voice acting club, um, one reason that I started it way back in the day, because we've had a few different variations. We started as a web forum and then now like the discord server, which is where most of it takes place that started in like 2018. And we rebooted the web forums, which used to be way more active. And now they're mostly just for the articles, but that was in 2016. But the first version of the voice acting club was in like 2005 and 2006. And it was um, made like because I used to do a lot of flash animations back when that was a thing. Like I used to, um, mm -hmm. you know, just like message animators and be like, hey, I want to like voice for projects because back then it was all collaborative. You know, now people like monetize things and it's a little bit different. But back then it was just people. You so know, you you just stuff. reached out to people that you didn't know and asked them if they yeah. wanted to work with you. Yeah. A lot do you of still do that? Like... Do you, are you still entrepreneurial in that way in terms of soliciting work or is, is it all coming in through an agent? It, it depends. Like I like to, I always say like never just rely on one source because a lot of actors, I have this in my article about agents. A lot of people assume that if they just get represented, then that's it. They're good. And it's like, look, you can be with one of the top agents in the country like I am <laughs> right now, um, but you're still, you know, you can't just rely on that for everything. So Who are you with? it does help uh, CESD. Oh, that was my agent too. Although it was oh, CED nice. back then. Yeah, yeah. Wow. They they are one of the tops, but you also have to have your own relationships. And I right. I guess what you're saying is true, like that you can't just sit back and let the agent take care of all of the momentum in your career. But then again, without one of those agents, 
how do you get the opportunity to audition for the types of roles that you want to do if it's in movies or television or anime or video games those sorts of things tend to come through the agents am i wrong has that changed are 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 you finding through the your network of thousands of people that are in the voice acting club that people are able to make inroads without agents to get auditions for those sorts of things absolutely um i think mm. there's there's kind of um different points that you'll hit in your career so when someone's starting out a lot of times you know, it's it's very difficult because it's competitive to get an agent right now. Um, but so people start out and they might do like hobby work and then they might graduate to kind of like indie work that's paid. And that kind of stuff doesn't go through agents. You know, they'll just post open casting calls online most sure. of the time. For and then they can tidy start commission, for... it's not worth their time to, to put it right, out. Right, exactly. Yeah. And um, then they can start looking for like talent rosters because sometimes studios, especially those that do... Um, you know, maybe like non-union dubbing, things like that, that agents don't always want to bother with either. Sometimes they will have their own internal talent rosters. Sometimes you'll mm -hmm. have like companies that do explainer videos and things like that and get on those talent rosters. So people can make a lot of momentum in their career before ever being represented. And then when you're represented you know the goal is that you get auditions for the the bigger stuff the stuff that you're not going to see if you don't have an agent a lot of the big union jobs and things like that um original animation that sort of stuff but you know it's like obviously not when you're starting out in your career even if you audition for those things like the competition is so fierce that it's going to be difficult to book it so that's why i tell people if you don't like, have a personal relationship mm -hmm. yeah not so that you're guaranteed to book it but you're more likely to get the audition Right. So even before you get represented, I say it's important to like be making connections with those studios and casting directors. I mean, in like a an appropriate way, obviously, you don't want to be like messaging their personal Facebook and being like, hey, put me in a project. But, you know, just like doing good work when you get a chance to audition for or work with a studio, um, things like that, just having the casting directors maybe hear your auditions a few times ago oh i need to keep this person in mind maybe they're not right for this part but we'll be right for something down the line that sort of yeah thing. absolutely you know i agree with everything that you just said including so i just auditioned for something last night that i'm not going to get it's i'm i don't have the depth in my voice that is required by that role but they sent it to me so i'm auditioning for it right. be, and i'm did a, a, you know and i i the acting side of it i feel very confident and I just know that the the quality of voice is probably not what they're looking for. But if what they hear in the performance is good enough, they'll keep it in mind for another role. And I think that's a, a lot of the game is just continuing to do good work and putting yourself out there and not second guessing yourself and, and being willing to give away your best work in auditions and then forget about it because you never know yes. how it's going to come back to you. Yeah, and I, I would say that... Um, you know, I know it's hard, but I always tell people to not get discouraged if they audition for a studio or casting director a bunch of times and never book because that doesn't mean that you didn't do good auditions or that they're not being heard because I do a bit of casting as well, mostly for like indie game developers and stuff like that. And, you know, if I'm going through like 700 different audition files or what? sometimes even more, you do? yeah, yeah, it's you a do lot. that many. Hold on, Even with wait. the vetted talent pool, you have like, you know, because um, one game that I cast for recently, it had like nine characters. Oh, they were oh, 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 so it's like and, like a hundred per character. 
Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people audition for multiple characters. But that's a lot to go through. You know, if it was a big public cattle call, then you can easily cut down people because they don't have a good recording quality or something like that. But, um, you know, when it's all, like, pretty good, like, actors with some professional experience, it's a lot to go through. And um, there have been times where somebody has auditioned for projects that I've helped cast over and over. And for whatever reason, like, maybe the end clients don't pick them, even if they get shortlisted or they're not right for those roles. But I'm like, man, this person always turns in great auditions. Mm -hmm. And then recently I had a mobile game where I got to pitch actors to the director that like, hey, I want to cast this person as this role and so on and so forth. And because I didn't do auditions, I just kind of went by this person always does good auditions for me and I know they can do this. And, you know, so it's like then they get a role that they didn't even audition for. See, that's how... Before you say how you said earlier, like you've been in this business for so long, I kind of have and I kind of haven't because I left for 15 years, except for Digimon. I would come, I would fly to LA every year to voice those movies. We've done eight of them. That was before remote. So I got this weird perspective of a lifetime of experience, right, in the theater and voice acting and all this sort of thing, decades, but also. The business has changed and I've been gone. That's why I'm doing this podcast is to learn from the guests as well as to <laughs> help people vis-a-vis listening to the conversations. Uh, but this whole, like, Discord, I don't even know what Discord is. Twitch, pff, I, I've never been on Twitch. Like, all, like, all these things, it's all new. In my experience, when I first started out as a voice actor, even though I hadn't, even though I had an agent, I was probably booking, like, one in every 50 commercial auditions. Like the the ratio was really bad, and it would have been very easy to get discouraged if I looked at it as the end of the process each time I didn't get booked. Like, oh, I failed, but that's not the case. It's oh, I got in front of this person and I did my best work, and then eventually, because of doing it, my best work became better, and my booking ratio went up to maybe one in twenty five or one in twenty. But I don't know that it was ever any better than that because it's always been a competitive business. Where it really changed was when I started working for certain directors and production companies, and it's the combination of professionalism, quality work, and being a likable person that people want to actually work with. That that got me out of a process of having to audition and just being called for gigs and asked for availability and for absolutely for most careers in the world that we're talking about like video games and animation and anime and that sort of thing eventually it comes down to those relationships i mean the end game would be you create your own content and then you don't have to ask for permission from anybody else but i think a step before that is you are a trusted provider of this type of vocal service and you don't need to audition every time because they know what you're capable of. Exactly. Or you get a requested audition. Like that's because, you know, even if you're represented, sometimes it's like the best thing is when you you have a relationship with a studio or casting director. So they go to your agent and say, hey, we want to hear this person read for this. And then it, you look good to your agents and, you know, it's it's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and especially if you bring work to your agent that you got on your own. Like, mm-hmm. that's just a good practice. In fact, let me make a point of that. If you're someone who is in a position to make a decision as to whether to commission an agent on work that you've gotten on your own, uh, don't be a short-sighted dummy. Obviously, give it to your agent and give them the commission on everything. 
it doesn't matter because you're building a, a relationship over time and it's not about, this is my whole point, it's not about one gig or one audition. It's about those relationships that you can create and nurture and grow over the course of your career. Yeah, and I think um, it's good like when you sign with an agent, if you have a lot of work that you work on independently to ha have a conversation with your agent and say like, hey, what kind of work do you want to handle? Because some agents are like, oh, we don't want to do dubbing. It's not worth it for us. Or, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they just they don't want to bother with like the smaller projects or some agents are like, we don't really want to do like non-union this or that. So I think, you know, just kind of having that conversation and being like, hey, are there like certain things that you'd like me to bring to you? And then that way you guys are on the same page and you know works out well yeah good communication so circling back to the demos that we were talking about a little bit earlier i see here that you've actually directed demos for voice actors that's really interesting to me do they usually come to you with copy that they want to do and you're just directing the read or are you suggesting things for them how does that process work and what insights can you give us from the directing side as to what makes for a good demo reel yeah, so um, I am a freelance demo director. So basically a lot of people when they're kind of in that in-between stage of like, you know, maybe they've made self-made demos before and they want something that's better than a self-made demo, but they're not ready to drop like two grand or more on a like industry professional demo. Um, you know, basically, if, especially if they're in that space of like they're submitting to these like paid Twitter castings, they're submitting to online casting sites, they're submitting to, you know, like kind of stuff where it's like they need to have something that sounds polished but doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like a, oh, a prestigious demo producer. They will kind of, um, they will find somebody to write a script for them and they will find someone to mix their audio or some people may um, do that themselves if they are also like audio mixers. And then basically they hire me to just get on a call with them for an hour and direct their reads because, you know, no matter like who you are, how good you are, I think it's going to always benefit if you have another person listening and, you know, saying, cause you can think like we've all been there. Like as an actor, we think that we're conveying uh, what we have in our head, but then someone being like, well, try this. And then it's going to convey this. So yeah. um, not only is that very smart practice, but it's actually going to save you a lot of money. And that's, that's like my big goal with directing demos is I want to um, guide people into reads that are believable and can book in the current market because a lot of like a big trap that a lot of people fall into when they're kind of in that in-between stage of like, you know, they're doing some paid work, but maybe not quite like submitting to agents yet or things like that is they think of a demo reel as here's a bunch of voices I can do. And mm -hmm. I try to say like, okay, let's make these fleshed out characters. I know you only got a couple sentences, but let's make this a well-rounded character and get a big visual picture of the scene. So like when I'm directing mm -hmm. somebody, I always have a visual in my head of what exactly is going on, what the character is physically doing. And when you like um, say these things to people, a lot of times they admit like, oh, I didn't think about that. Like I didn't think about like where my character is physically and how far away is the person they're talking to and you know what what is my character doing with their body and stuff like that they're just like performing the line and that's what we want to get away from and even if you do have that knowledge as an actor to ask those sorts of actorly questions of yourself in the moment that you're doing the read you may not 
Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely caught myself and, you know, in sessions or whatever, just kind of like you, you're like, oh, I know what to do. I can perform this or whatever. But then when you really get down into it, especially for something like a demo, I think it's, it's important to have those clear goals because you have so little time to showcase who that character is. And then I also try to encompass like different genres, like, um, you know, if they want to do a video game demo or, you know, or let's say even just a general character demo, because a lot of times at this point, people are just making one character demo at that point in their career. So I say, okay, well, we have something because everyone wants to do the anime and JRPG spots. So I was like, okay, we can now. have the big anime and JRPG spots, <laughs> yeah. but let's also do something like a, a Saturday morning cartoon. Let's do a like grittier, like adult animation. Let's do something that would work in a live action dub something um, for like preschoolers game. yeah right Kids, mix it up um, have levels yeah and because you want you know people always want to do the big like um exaggerated reads but i was like a lot of people want like real grounded performances so you got to have that stuff too well you can have real grounded performances in in anime i mean i think that's what totally, i specialized yeah, in I personally think, kind of think about that <laughs> it's not everything's you know, not all screaming performances yes yeah. yeah i would think that your experience as a casting director would help you in directing these demos as well. And actually vice versa, having listened to so many demos get created in the first place gives you a good ear for casting. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the big things too, is just like, if I'm like reviewing people's demo reels or whatever, if there's things that just sound like they're reading, like performing the lines, but it's not like a believable character. Because one of the things that casting directors are looking for if they listen to your demo is what archetypes can this person realistically play? So you don't want it to be mm -hmm. like a caricature of that archetype, but you want, you know, and I think a lot of people try to shoehorn themselves into certain archetypes. And I say like, it's fine to stretch, but work with your strengths more so than your weaknesses. Um, Everyone wants to be the protagonist, and it's like, well, you can you can do something, you know, you can do your version of a protagonist, but it doesn't necessarily need to be the first spot on your demo if that's not what you're booking. Well, I think if you're lucky, you'll get known for doing a certain type of voice, whatever that may be, and then you just lean into it and just be fully yeah. who it is that you are. I know in my first animation demo coming out of film school, I tried to cram as many different voice types in there as possible to show how talented I was, right? It's 200 voices <laughs> in three minutes. That, yeah, but it's just confusing and overwhelming. And, you know, what I've got now is five different versions of me doing the thing I was booked for 80, 90% of the time, which is some exactly. version of my own voice. Want to know where they yeah. can place you. And if it's like yeah. too, like all over the place, like, great, this person's really versatile, but uh, I'll bring them in for utility. I don't know what else. It's counterproductive because they don't know what to do with you or where to put you. <laughs> if they can, at least initially, if they can typecast you, that's a good thing because the word cast is in there. Speaking of yeah. which, when was it that you knew you could go full time as a voice actress? During those seven years that you were in LA and I assume doing other types of work to make a living at some point, there had to be a decision that you were able to let it all go and just focus on voice acting. When was that for you? Yeah, and I think that's really important. I, I have an article called Going Full-Time as an Actor where I touch on a lot of those realities because um, basically I kind of tell people like, go full-time when your schedule with acting becomes so much consistently that you can't realistically sustain a day job because there were different times where i was like oh maybe i'll try to go full-time now because um i had been 
voice acting like uh you know online as a hobby for like seven years and then I moved to LA and then it you know I started working with studios and stuff but it took me like another seven years to kind of be able to not have another job and a lot of it just became like okay I was working so consistently that I couldn't make the schedule work even super part-time with like day jobs so at that point you're kind of like okay well you know, this is what it is. And then you just realize you, still... you are full time already and yeah. let go of the day jobs. And mm -hmm. it's got to be a monetary consideration as well. Like Absolutely, if you're, if you're paying all your bills, yeah, if you're paying all your bills consistently with voiceover, then how much more could you do if you freed up all the rest of your schedule? Right. That's why I always did variety entertainment because it was in well i love it but also it was in the evenings and it didn't conflict with auditions and recording sessions which were in the day it's just that it made me burn out after half a dozen years of doing it full time there was that seven year period where i was struggling to get booked in either and then the five six seven year period where i had no open time in my schedule day night weekend that was too much as well you know hopefully you find a way to sort of balance it out have a life, get out, get out of the booth, get outside as well, so you don't go bonkers bouncing off the padded walls. Absolutely. And I think getting real life experience and, and having hobbies and interests and friends outside of the industry, super important because if nothing else, like it's good for your mental health, but it um, being a well-rounded person will make you a well rounded actor. That's something that I heard, um, I think it was in a class, I can't even remember at this point, but it always stuck with me that the more you go out and experience things, the more you're going to be able to somehow like take that and internalize it and use it to make you a better performer. So there's an episode, interesting that you said that, for anyone listening, if you haven't listened to my episode on rejection, which was about me being rejected by agents in Hollywood just within the last month because they're like, we already have enough people in your category without even listening to anything you know that I did. What's interesting is absolutely I'm a better actor than when I left because I traveled the world and I had a life. I've had kids, not that you need to be a parent necessarily, but you know I've had the, the different perspectives as a result of being in a totally different career, traveling to 40 some countries, being a parent, doing all kinds of things that weren't anywhere on my radar when I was voicing full-time. Now that I'm coming back to it, have that life experience to bring to the roles. So it's not all the same siloed interpretation of everything based on a limited life experience. It's, it's, it's based on everything that you have taken into your conscience, every person you've ever met, every place you've ever been, everything that you've ever done you bring to bear in your performance. And if all you ever do is scroll social media, play video games and audition for things, that's not a life. And then you're gonna end up doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, interpreting the roles the same thing, everybody, same way everybody else is. If all you watch is Marvel movies, you know, or whatever the current movies are that are out, your ear is gonna hear the role in the same way as everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I talk for five minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And now it's time for questions from the fans. All right, I never look at these ahead of time, so let's see. <laughs> I don't, just keep it fresh. Uh, what is your favorite part of voicing Setsuna 
from a Sailor Moon Lover 1214. Um, so Setsuna from Yashahime is what I assume they're referring to. Yes. Um, yeah, um, so that was super fun because the original Inuyasha show was something that inspired me to go into anime dubbing. Um, I kind of knew that I wanted to do that with a few shows that I had watched prior, but I feel like so much of my formative work in trying to like do that sort of thing was just like watching the original Inuyasha dub, which was done up in Vancouver, and, you know, kind of like learning from those performances and stuff. So getting to play one of Sashomaru's daughters so many years later was just, like, really special to me. Ah, uh, it was a full full circle moment yeah. there. And Slugdies asks, if all the characters you voiced fought in a giant battle royale, who would win? I mean, I gotta go with Jolene, because she has a stand. <laughs> Fair enough. And because we're pressed for time, that has been Questions from the Fans. <laughs> I'd like to bring us toward the close here with a little section I like to call Break the NDA. Can you tell us what you're working on now? Well, let me think of stuff that is out. What's coming up next? <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see. Um, gosh. So a lot of the projects are, you know, stuff that's already like finished recently and I'm just doing like ongoing um I am in a show called Welcome to Demon School Irima-kun that comes out every week like there's a new episode weekly um it's season three going on right now I play Amari the student council president and also a couple side characters and it's a really fun cute little comedy um where can people see that make people feel good um that is on Crunchyroll cool all right and then uh, if you have appearances coming up in the next couple of months at any Comic-Cons? Can you let us know what those are? Yeah, um, in a couple of weeks I'm doing Colorado Anime Fest. Um, in April I've got like a few different cons. I'm going to um, Tennessee, St. Louis, and Dallas. And then May, I'm not sure yet, I might be doing like some Funko signings because one of my characters is getting a Funko Pop soon. So ah, yeah, I do a lot of, very nice. <laughs> a lot of yeah. signings and events. People will be able to find out those announcements on your Twitter. So I'm going to put your social media links also in the show notes. I thank you so much for coming on the show because this has just been exactly the kind of talk I thought I would have with you, which is a very freewheeling, very honest, no BS point of view here on the realities of the voice acting business. And I think it's going to help a lot of people to have heard it. For sure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to get to know you. Likewise. Thanks for listening. I've got a question for you. Have you ever thought about getting into voice acting yourself? If so, check out my free intro to voice acting class at voiceoverchampions.com and become a voiceover champion.